differences does matter. You know, diversity matters, equity matters, inclusion matters. And we have to make sure that, you know, we have people like me and others who are out there really making sure that those voices are heard and seen and heard and create opportunities for them, quite frankly, right? Making sure that as we're creating these spaces, that we're also passing the microphone for others to be seen and heard uh, as part of this process, right? You open the door, but make sure you support other people going through it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Vanessa Nazario, Chief DEI Officer at Memorial Healthcare System. During the episode, we discuss how to measure and gauge the success of DEI initiatives and hold leaders accountable. We also discuss how to overcome challenges that may arise during this important work. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited for our conversation today. I'm really glad that you've been able to come in and we're going to have this fantastic chat. Um, so why not kick off, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your journey to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely, Natasha. And thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I believe in the power of storytelling. And, you know, sometimes when you share certain aspects of your life, it might help someone else who is at a place where they're looking for a little guidance. So I appreciate you creating the space to have this conversation. Uh, so a little bit about me. I, uh, I, as mentioned, I'm the Chief Diversity Officer for Memorial Healthcare System. We're based in Hollywood, Florida. I've been with this organization going on two years now. I'm actually originally uh, from New Jersey, where I worked in diversity for another healthcare system. And uh, although I was born in Puerto Rico, so I want to make that clear, I'm not a, a you know a native to New Jersey. I just I was raised there, so I, I refer to it as my my home because I spent so many years there. Uh, and uh, and that's where I got my sort of introduction to community development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and uh, sort of what has evolved to what I do today, which is creating equitable outcomes. Uh, so as I mentioned, I've been with this organization for two years and definitely uh, have been focused on creating a framework that will um, hopefully survive me in terms of what we're trying to do to create a space for everyone to be received uh, in a really sort of affirming manner. So that's a little bit about me and you know, what, who I am and where I'm at. And, and I know we're going to unpack this a little bit more as we get uh, further into the conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. We're going to unpack it all. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get down and deep. We're going to get down and deep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my first question for you is, I mean, working within the healthcare system, you're not only servicing kind of you're not, as a DEI officer, it's not only the employees, so kind of the, the staff there, it's also the patients as well. So where, where can, what can we do to ensure fair outcomes for not only the patients, but also for your employees and for the staff? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think it's important for um, those that are listening to, uh, this conversation to understand when you do diversity, equity, inclusion at a healthcare system, we're not only focused on our workforce and our community, but we're also looking to make sure that we're creating equitable outcomes for our patients, right? And our patient population that we serve, uh, I'll just share with you where we physically sit in terms of Broward County. 
Uh, and, and the patients that we see, we serve a very diverse, diverse community, you know, multi-ethnic, multi-language, multi-everything. So in order for us to create a space where people are treated with respect and dignity, and again, we're meeting people where they are, we have to think about how do we create that space? You know, what are the things that we need to work on in terms of policies, procedures, education, raising awareness, you know, the way we act and behave uh, in front of our patient population. So for me, I keep that top of mind as we're designing our DEI strategy that I'm not only thinking about how to create a diverse workforce, retaining that talent, but also making sure that we're thoughtful about what are we doing to curate a space where our patients feel safe when they come into our space. So as an example, if you are a transgender uh, individual, man or female, and you're looking for an environment, a healthcare provider where you feel safe coming into our space to receive care, what have we done to earn that trust, right? And you have to think about our, you know, how we educated our staff on understanding and being sensitive to the community and making sure that we acknowledge that individual and affirm them, right, by calling them their preferred name or however they want to be addressed and identified. And that's just an example. So when you do that and you do that well, that should hopefully mean that the word will spread and other patients will say, you know what, I want to go to that organization because I understand that they are really about seeing and treating us equitably. And that's what we work on every day in terms of our patient population. So I wanted to give you an example. Uh, another thing is, you know, language, being, being able to communicate in the preferred language of our patients and having services available, different tools, which we do. We have different services to make sure we're communicating because language is everything, right? Communication and everything to be able to communicate with that patient in the preferred language so they can really explain what's going on with them. It's as you can imagine, paramount, right? We can't get that wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah so those right. are just a couple of examples. So we're all about making sure we're creating a space for our patients to be affirmed and treated respect and dignity first and foremost. So those are just a couple of examples of, you know, my sort of thought process and why this stuff matters. Hmm. And what's been, what's been your proudest moment so far in, in doing the work that you're doing? Just one proud moment. Oh, come on, Natasha. Uh, there's so many things that I can highlight what and stands illuminate. Out? What stands <laughs> okay, out for what, you? What stands out? I would probably, okay, just sort of using the the example that I just gave of LGBTQ plus and uh, trans. So one of the things that we pursued in 2021 was our first designation from the Human Rights Campaign. And, and for those that are unfamiliar, they're the largest LGBTQ advocacy organization in the country. They really make sure that um, organizations such as healthcare organizations are committed to creating safe spaces for the community. So we went after uh, what they call their healthcare quality index designation, and we were able to secure it for our flagship hospital, regional hospital. And to be able to secure that designation, there are just so many layers to doing uh, that we needed to go through to make sure that we secure that from where we're marketing, where we're deploying sponsorship dollars. Do we have representation on our leadership team who uh, is from the community? What are we doing from uh, from uh, accepting our own and uh, employees and creating a space? So, for example, you know, having a gender transition policy. So, if you do have a team member who is transitioning while at work, that we commit to them pretty much that we will be there for them, right? We're creating a safe space for them to 
uh, do what they need to do to feel, you know, that uh, they can transition and they don't have to worry about bias and discrimination, whether, you know, from a colleague or what have you. So we, we've done a lot. So for me, you know, to be able to reflect on that, that's one of my uh, proudest moments that we were able to secure that designation. And it's not so much about the designation and saying, hey, you know, we are HEI designated is it's actually the work that it took for us to get there and the readiness, right, that now is in place uh, forever, right? That's, that's gonna, those policies will live after I'm, you know, long gone and, uh, and the education that we've invested as for our staff as well, for them to be mindful and sensitive and affirming. To me, though, that I would probably say, you know, if I were to choose one, that would be one of my proudest moments because I know what it means to that individual who, again, is a, is scared and afraid because they're facing whatever medical diagnoses. The last thing they have to, we want them to worry about is whether they're going to be misgendered at patient registration or, you know, walking into a medical room and the physician making an offside comment about, oh, well, I thought you were a, a girl, not a guy, you know that kind of stuff right that stuff really really matters and to me i would say you know that is probably one of my proudest moments to be able to have that designation but the work that it took for us to get there oh fantastic and talking about the work that it took you to get there i mean i can only imagine what do you feel was some of the strategies that you put in place that that allowed you to to get that designation yeah so there was a lot of different things uh, so definitely uh, policies needed to be adopted. Uh, so for example, I mentioned the gender transition policy. That was one that we crafted uh, and received approval on to make sure that, again, for our own workforce who uh, are transitioning, you know, whether male to female, female to male, regardless, that there's guidance for our managers, right, in terms of what are we asking of them to create a safe space and when the person chooses to update their preferred name and talent management, which we also did, was create those data fields. So someone can go in and say, all right, well, my legal name is is Jose, but I want to be addressed as Maria, as an example. So from that point forward, that person will be addressed as Maria and will use the proper pronouns for uh, that individual. So those are just two examples. And then we did stuff on the patient side also where uh, we are very thoughtful about the rooming policy. So if you, again, are from the transgender community to have a conversation with that patient in terms of their rooming preference to make sure that they feel safe uh, within our space. And um, uh, so those are just two sort of examples, one of the workforce, one on the on the patient yeah, side. Yeah. We also invested in uh, education to raise awareness uh, and sensitivity about the LGBTQ plus community. And did you, I mean, in general, when you're, when you give yourself this sort of goal in terms of, okay, this is what we're going to strive for. This is what we're going to go out and, and, and try to achieve in order to become more diverse and inclusive and, and equitable for, for our workforce and, and patients. What advice would you give to leaders that are, that are working towards trying to make this sort of change in their organization? You know, one piece of advice I would give them, Natasha, is that although the goal um, might feel daunting because there are so many different steps to get there, that it, it, it should probably attack it from a place of the baby steps. Let me take the short-term goals um, and the tactical steps to move that goal forward first and do what I can to make sure that I'm setting it up where I can reach whatever that final outcome is and not to get 
sort of discourage if there's a you know setbacks um you know i've faced setbacks and sometimes you know a lot of the stuff you have to work with so many different teams to bring it to life right so although i'm the visionary i'm the strategic planner you know when i talk about healthcare quality index i had to work with our clinical teams our marketing teams community relations so many people right to be able to, to you know address a specific question secure whatever document we needed to secure you know get the legal approvals if it would require legal approval for policies and you have to have patience so for me is to really think about it from a place of um, it will all come into place and it'll all work out and not to get overwhelmed take baby steps you know create those um, alliances that are needed to get to that longer term goal and take time to build those relationships with, with, again whether it's with clinical whether it's around human resources whomever uh, it, you know just take the time to do that and not get overwhelmed and although it might feel that it's taking longer um, it's it's okay you have to take it at the pace where your organization is ready for whatever sort of outcome you're looking uh, to accomplish uh, so kind of keep that also in mind is you know it's easy to get caught in well you know when i look at my competitors they're light years ahead they're doing all this stuff and i feel like i'm behind listen it's okay to look at you know what best practices there might be out there but you have to take it at the pace of where your organization is from a readiness perspective and take the necessary steps to make sure that you build the foundational pieces as you're sort of building the entire sort of house, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. So that would be my advice, Natasha. You know, don't get overwhelmed. Take those baby steps and take the time to build the rapport with whomever you need to work with to get to the end result. How do you deal with the people that are pushing back on, on the work that you're doing? Uh, you know what? I, I, Natasha, say, talk to the hand. That's it. That's what you need to do. Leave me alone. Get out of my way. I'm not dealing with you today. Um, okay, well, maybe, you know, I say that in my head. I don't yeah. really say that out loud. But, you know, one of the things I've learned in this business, whether it's diversity, equity, inclusion, whether it's community development, whatever it is, you're always going to have your naysayers and the people who um, might not believe in the cause, at least initially. And I always say, you know, and, and I mean, this is not my original thought, but success breeds success. And I've seen it happen where, you know, when you see a team, that really puts your arms around DEI and their employee engagement scores are, are really where they need to be. They're high. Their retention rates are phenomenal. You know, their quality metrics for patients are where they need to be and they're being commended for it. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a leader who's struggling a little bit and they're like, well, wait a minute, you know, how can I get a piece of what's going on there and participate, right? And, yeah. and then, that, then they might come out of their and say, okay, you know what, I need to engage with DEI because I see this is this is part of what I need to invest in in terms of my own business line or my own service line. So for me, that's how I deal with it. I I I, I try not to get overly frustrated and exasperated, you know, when 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 you do have that pushback from people because it's easy to it's easy to do that, but you just can't be persuaded to go down that path because you'll wear yourself out fast. You will wear yourself out fast if you sit there and worry about all the no's and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and you won't have energy for the good stuff, right? For the stuff that's that will sort of move that proverbial needle forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally agree. And so how can how can we keep leaders accountable so for for their actions and the decisions that they make? 
Yeah, well, I think it depends, you know, what we're measuring. Every every meter has certain metrics that you're measured on. Uh, so I'll highlight a couple just from our healthcare, and I'm sure some of these apply to other organizations, for example. Uh, and I just named a few, so employee engagement. Most organizations conduct employee engagement surveys, and, uh, and we want to understand, you know, how are they feeling? And if what we're seeing are trends where they're disengaged, that they're on the precipice of leaving an organization, that's a metric that matters to any organization because, you know, when people leave, it costs money. It does cost money to replace that individual, right, the energy in terms of working with, uh, you know, recruiting firms. You know, if that position is open for a long time, that means that uh, someone else has to pick up the slack. That might mean overtime hours. And then also thinking about, you know, what that means for employee morale. So if the morale is on that team because, you know, that leader is just not engaged and not really supporting them in terms of creating an inclusive environment, those things get noticed and noticed really, really fast for any, in most organizations, I would say. So that's a way to hold them accountable is to make sure, again, that when we're looking at our employee engagement scores that we're using a barometer and that lets us say, you know, if, if they're not doing well, doing root cause analysis and saying, you know, is it because you're not creating an inclusive environment? Uh, one thing that I'll share here is part of our uh, strategic plan was to include specific questions around DEI within our employee engagement survey, and we did that in 2022. So we created a baseline. Yeah. So now we have sort of a temperature check of how people are feeling in terms of our culture relative to uh, being an inclusive environment and being seen and heard. So every leader gets their scores, and now moving forward every year, we'll see, you know, uh, is, it, is it shifting towards the better or worse? Are the things that we're doing making a difference in terms of education awareness and, and other campaigns? So I would say, you know, that's one example uh, that any leader, you know, most leaders can be, uh, can use as a, as a gauge uh, and, and, and hopefully be held accountable for the results, right? Um, I think that's a really, you know, low-hanging fruit for most organizations. And then there's other metrics, customers. So for us as patients, you know, what are our patients telling us? Uh, and if we're getting our patient experience surveys back and they're noting, you know, I feel that I'm being disrespected when I show up to your emergency room. I feel like there's a lot of bias in the delivery of care. You know, these are metrics that matter to any administrative officer within an organization. And that's where, again, that partnership with DEI uh, to make sure we're addressing whatever those concerns are. And so for you, what's been the biggest challenge in your role? The biggest challenge? Oh, my goodness. There's, um, I, I think, you know, I don't like to see it as challenges, Natasha. You know, I like to flip that a little bit. It's more about, you know, where are there areas of opportunities? And there's always opportunities to engage more people in sort of this process of, creating a culture of belonging, right? And, yeah. But I have to be held accountable also in terms of making sure, as I stated earlier, the why behind it. Why Why does this even matter? Why should we care about this? And being able, being able to communicate that in a really sort of uh, clear, right, sort of manner so people understand the why. Uh, so I, you know, I, I lead that. And... And for me, if people aren't grasping to the why and I'm not seeing, you know, sort of adoption of what we're trying to do here, then that creates an opportunity for me to maybe revisit, you know, the, the way I'm approaching that conversation. What for you has been the driving force 
in in doing the work for you because you've you've talked about the why um and explaining that to people but for you why what's driving you I love that question. What What is the motivation, right? What is my why <laughs> in terms of, you know, why I do this today? I would probably say it's it really started when I was a, a young girl and uh, being Hispanic. I am a Hispanic woman, Puerto Rican, and growing up in a low-income community, understanding the real challenges that are faced uh, by those uh, communities that have been historically excluded and marginalized. And the real sort of... Um, issues that are that are dealt with on a daily basis by our, our most of these communities it really um, stayed with me throughout the years and that's what's influenced me to continue to be an advocate and ambassador uh, to make sure that there's a voice at the table representing them to make sure that they're not forgotten and uh, and, and and that we create opportunities equitable opportunities for for all communities again all those that have been historically just excluded from these conversations from you know the process so for me it you know it all started as a young young person and coming from that environment and seeing you know as i navigated like corporate i worked for a financial services firm for 20 years in community development and seeing um sort of how people navigated those borders and who got promoted who didn't get promoted you know and when you looked at certain teams and there was no diversity and sometimes that was the only hispanic woman for example i said you know there we, we there has to be a way that that we that we can do this much better right yeah. and when i was introduced to this whole world of dei as part of my involvement in an employee network and and the power of having those those voices around the table and creating uh, awareness about and uh, you know our, our different communities of color and I represented the Latina uh, community and I saw the response that we were getting from leaders in terms of you know appreciating the the insights that we're bringing to them and what they can do to change you know certain behaviors it just sort of fed my appetite to say okay I want to be able to continue this journey and this work. And, um, and and continue to follow through and because I've seen the results and the impact. Um, and uh, and to hear people come up to me and say, you know, I feel seen and heard. Thank you for what you're doing uh, within this organization because this does matter. You know, diversity matters, equity matters, inclusion matters. And we have to make sure that, you know, we have people like me and others who are out there really making sure that those voices are heard and seen and heard and create opportunities for them, quite frankly, right? Making sure that, as we're creating these spaces, that we're also passing the microphone for others to be seen and heard uh, as part of this process, right? You open the door, but make sure you support other people going through it. So that is what inspired me. That's why I do what I do today. Um, and uh, I would not take anything back. I, I want to continue to do this as long as um, the good Lord wants me to do it. Wow, that's so lovely. Oh, Vanessa, I'm, I'm so glad we're ending on such a good note. I think that's amazing. and. Thanks again so much for, for joining me today on the show. I wish you all the best for the future until Thank we speak you. again. Thank you. This was amazing. The time went by rather fast and hopefully I left uh, uh, your audience with something, you know, that they can sort of uh, glean from and take back for, you know, their consideration. And uh, I'm always available on LinkedIn if anyone wants to sort of reach out to me, Vanessa Nazario, uh, MBA. Uh, is, is probably where you can search on LinkedIn, by the way, if they want to get in contact with me. Oh, yeah. And I will definitely be linking your contact info, your LinkedIn profile below the episode. So if anyone wants to get in contact with Vanessa, definitely click on her LinkedIn details and she can reach back out to you.
Please, please. Thank you for being a gracious hostess.